Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast, as this is part two of a uh, intermittent fasting masterclass, as I like to say, uh, review article discussion. Uh, we are not going to have any funny intros. I know I can hear your disappointment through the speakers as I'm saying that. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'll make it up to you in the future. Um, but to dive back in, to, for those of you who skipped part one, go back and listen to it. For those of you who took some break between part one and part two, part one was really just an introduction to what intermittent fasting is and a discussion of don't be in a camp of this diet is the only diet. It's the only thing that works because we know that that's not true for everybody. So so be knowledgeable about all the different types of diet plans and, uh, and be advocates for your patients, not an a-hole. Okay, so we're going to talk about um, but so for a quick cell bio review, we talked about a little bit about how in the last episode that there's some really impressive uh, graphs and detailed discussion about the cellular and molecular biology of this article. And again, for those of you who skipped the first uh, first podcast episode, uh, the article is in December 16th in New England Journal of Medicine entitled Effects of Intermittent Fasting on Health, Aging, and Disease, a review article by Drs. DeCabo and Matson. Um, so if you want to follow along with us there or just get all the information here, I'm pretty much covering everything you need to know of a very long and very detailed, sometimes boring article. Okay, so quick cell biology review. During, past, during periods of fasting, triglycerides are broken down to fatty acids and glycerol, which are used for energy. Okay, nothing controversial there. Liver converts fatty acids to ketone bodies, which provide a major source of energy for many tissues, especially the brain, during fasting. In the fed state, blood levels of ketone levels, ketone bodies are quite low. But in humans, they rise within 8 to 12 hours after the onset of fasting, right? So your body is now no longer fed. 8 to 12 hours later, you fast. This is why we need that fasting number. We're talking about intermittent fasting. We're talking about that 16 slash 18 or 6 slash 18, 6 hours of fed, 18 of fasting. We need it to be a lot higher than 12. So, you know, there is some benefit to doing the 8 slash 16, but doing a little bit more detailed or prolonged fasting, probably better, more beneficial. In humans, um, in this article, they talk about the three different commonly reviewed intermittent fasting regimens, okay? Number one being alternative day fasts. This is not as popular anymore just because this is very difficult lifestyle to follow. Uh, you literally don't eat any calories every other day. That's really, really, really hard, okay? Um, some people will... Uh, we'll do this, and uh, again, uh, it's it, it's a pretty tricky one to follow, but alternate day fasts is a real thing, okay? Next one, the next type of intermittent fasting regimen is the 5-slash-2-day caloric restrictions. So five days a week, you eat normal calories, but for two days a week, you eat fewer calories. Now, this is not truly fasting, uh, or it's, it's less of the classic intermittent fasting because uh, it doesn't necessarily... If you don't do it properly, you could spend your two days not having any fasting. But basically, it's reduced caloric in intake. So the caloric restriction of 500 calories during those two days, which is a really, really, really low amount of calories. So it's it's really hard not to fast during those two days, but you could theoretically nibble on stuff all day, <laughs> consuming your 500 calories throughout the day and therefore not fast like you should. But that, that's for most people that, that 500 calories comes in like one, me, in like one meal or one snack. Um, and so then you have the um, two days of basically fasting during the week. Uh, we'll get into more of the how, you, how you'd initiate this with patients at the end of this discussion, um, at the end of this article, or the, and whenever this is. Hopefully it's by the end of the 15 minutes, but it could be in part three. I don't know. Um, 
And then finally, the timed fasting is discussed in part one. So the 6 slash 18 is the most common, 4 slash 20 uh, is a little bit less common, and the 8 slash 16 is even less common. But uh, 6 slash 18 seems to be the magic number for most people and for most studies. Now, how much of this intermittent fasting benefit is due to this metabolic switching phenomenon, fasting state, fed state, fasting state, fed state, and how much is this due to weight loss? Now, many studies have indicated that several of these benefits of intermittent fasting are disassociated from its effect on weight loss when you compare people who lose weight other ways compared to the people with intermittent fasting. Uh, the article goes on to talk about the specific improvements uh, tied strictly to intermittent fasting above and beyond that you get with, with traditional weight loss, including glucose regulation uh, and, and thereby insulin, insulin, res, in, insulin resistance or better insulin sensitivity. Uh, blood pressure improvements, heart rate improvements, endurance training improvements, reduced inflammation, improvement in dyslipidemia, and abdominal fat loss. Uh, these are pretty clear benefits to the uh, intermittent fasting, but then again, it is with a lot of diet plans, at least from a health and body perspective. So now, I really, 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 uh, the next part of the article goes into some of early ancestor discussion. I really tend to avoid discussion into what our early ancestors' diet plans look like, uh, because we can while we can make a, you know pretty weak inferences based on some pretty solid anthropologic research, this has been used in the past to push for some really stupid, sketchy diet plans, like the short-lived but really infamous paleo diet, which still floats around the internet today. Like, I, I, I think that there's just, uh, you know, a lot of uh, garbage uh, being pushed out. Well, our ancestors, you know, who you can't talk about human history throughout all different continents and be like. These, our ancestors lived these specific conditions and they definitely had, you know, you know, I, I read all these articles about the benefits of intermittent fasting. And it all comes from our ancestors and how they didn't have access to food all the time. Well, I mean, in agrana in agricultural societies, that's probably not true. They probably had good sources of food and they probably ate constantly. Um, and they probably, there are some, there are some species, especially some hunter-gatherer species, who if you read some articles on them, that they probably picked and ate throughout the entire day and they probably grazed like animals did. Uh, so... I don't buy that this whole early ancestral discussion about why intermittent fasting is superior to all other diets. So uh, spare me on that, but there is a deep dive into that um, about how this idea that intermittent fasting was a fairly routine part of all of human life, um, in addition to obviously early human life not having a sedentary existence. But I'm going to spare you with that because I don't necessarily think that's truly science-based. I think that's more uh, theory that's m moderate, modestly supported by scientific and anthropologic research. Um, I, I find that discussion to be a little bit intellectually fascinating about what human uh, early biology and cellular biology would benefit from certain diet plans. But again, I don't think it's beneficial to our discussion as PCPs in a modern world. Now, I ignore animal trials. Okay, I think animal trials are trash. We can cure cancer in mice. We can cure pretty much 90% of diseases in mice and rats and rodents. Um, and this article goes heavy into animal trials. And that's a lot of diet, a lot of diet studies, a lot of dietary studies, whether it be plant-based diets or um, they, it tries to associate, you know, rodents uh, with humans and all other non-human primates with humans. And uh, again, a rule of thumb, I always try to skip animal trials. So let's get to some of the human trials supporting the evidence. So in one trial, 16 healthy participants assigned to a regimen of alternate day fasting for 22 days, lost 2.5% of their body weight and 4% of fat mass with a 57% decrease in fasting insulin levels. 
Okay, a couple things we talk about on this podcast. Uh, uh, critically analyze some studies. Uh, N of 16, okay, pretty garbage. Alternate day fasting, okay, uh, 22 days, so three weeks only, uh, no further follow-up. So incredibly short-lived. And I'll tell you, every single diet plan looks great for 22 days. Okay, so again, I'm not... That's just a study. But the the interesting thing about a 57% decrease in fasting insulin levels is pretty amazing, um, regardless of your study. Um, in two other trials, overweight women, um, approximately an N of about 100 in each trial, were assigned either a 5-2 intermittent fasting regimen, which is the five days of eating, two days of eating very, 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 very low calories, or a diet consisting of a 25% reduction in their daily caloric intake. So this is what we talked about um, when you compare intermittent fasting to just weight loss in general. The women in the two groups had the same amount of weight, lost about the same exact amount of weight in the six-month period. But those assigned to the intermittent fasting had a greater increase in insulin sensitivity and a larger reduction in waist circumference. So again, there are probably some benefits to the intermittent fasting that having that fasting state where you're producing ketone bodies and burning adipose tissue compared to just 25% caloric reduction. Okay, so there's probably some more benefit than just losing weight, right? What about physical performance? Uh, one study, uh, there's a lot of animal studies on physical performance, and that's all garbage to my, in my brain, but one study in the, in the article is referenced, uh, talked about young men um, who fasted for 16 hours, so 16 slash 8, uh, maintained all muscle mass during two months of resistance training. Okay, that's a pretty garbage study, but um, that was one they quoted in the study. Um, cognitive function. In a clinical trial, older adults on short-term regimens of caloric restriction had improved verbal memory. Hooray! Uh, I don't know what that means. Um, in the study involving overweight adults with mild cognitive impairment, 12 months of caloric restriction led to improvements in verbal memory, executive function, and global cognition. Okay? Again, that wasn't specifically for... Um, that wasn't specifically for intermittent fasting, but just caloric reduction, which intermittent fasting is by nature caloric reduction. Um, uh, a mul large multi-center randomized control trial at the end of two years showed that daily caloric restriction led to a significant improvement in working memory. Again, not specific for intermittent fasting, but caloric reduction is beneficial to the brains, especially in older individuals. Okay, that's that's not controversial. Study does not specifically point out any major widespread uh, studies involving intermittent fasting for physical or mental performance in adults because they do not exist, okay? I'm not going to get in the weeds with the next three pages of this review article because I really, a lot of them keep talking about animal models, animal models and their effects on humans, which I don't think is reasonable given the overwhelming lack of impact in those studies normally end up having it when repeated in humans. But um, Here's, here's my big takeaway and what I talk about with patients. And here's a really good study um, that I want you to, to take away from this, from this podcast, okay? So the article is from 2018 BMJ Case Reports, okay? I, I've been quoting this for now for two years with patients, okay? About the importance of diet in diabetes, okay? So if you want to Google, you can follow along with this, but a therapeutic use of the, the article is a therapeutic use of intermittent fasting for people with type 2 diabetes as an alternative to insulin. It's in BMJ Case Reports 2018. Um, now, this N is three insulin-dependent diabetics, three, N of three, okay? Very small population. But they were given a six-hour education course basically on this topic of intermittent fasting and their blood sugars and diabetic education. They came into it with A1Cs in 11 and 12, and they used alternative day fasting, right? Alternate day fasting, 24-hour fasting, 
but had intense blood sugar monitoring. Um, but by day 18, okay, again, three weeks. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. Um, could have been the first episode, I don't remember, but in part one. But by day, by three weeks in, all three of these insulin-dependent insulin diabetics, A1Cs 11 and 12, were off all insulin. A1Cs at the end of the study, um, all hanging out in the sevens, off all medications. Um, I think this is a really impressive case report to talk about. Not because this is repeatable, not because uh, every alternate day fasting is sustainable for a lot of people, but it's really impressive just to say how important diet is for diabetes and insulin resistance and glucose regulation, right? Every patient in the study lost over 10% of their body weight, right? That's amazing. 300-pound patient lost 3 pounds. 200-pound patient, 200 patient lose 20 pounds in short period of time and has massive reductions in waist circumference, right? Insulin sensitivity improves dramatically off all insulin, off all hypoglycemic medicines by three weeks, okay? Again, this is not for every diabetic. This is not an actual therapeutic uh, uh, cure for diabetes, but it kind of is. Uh, you know, the importance of intermittent fasting is really been not only in animal models, but also in human models. Insulin sensitivity is remarkably better when fasting. Okay. Now, aside from weight loss, diabetes, the study talks about the benefit in cholesterol and cardiovascular disease. Again, there's no studies on major cardiac, uh, major adverse cardiac events, MACE data, as we like to say, or mortality though. So it's hard to really, you know, get into the weeds too much. It talks about benefit in cancer, which is likely related to obesity and inflammation. Um, talks about neurodegenerative disease, neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease gets benefit, asthma, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, again, being anti-inflammatory. Most of that is with animal models, and the science is really low-quality evidence, so I'm not going to get into that. Now, I have a whole nother kind of page and a half to go over in this review article. So to recap what we talked about today, there's probably a lot of benefit to getting the body's metabolism off of liver and dietary glucose and onto ketone bodies. The burning of adipose tissue based on need and not from, oh, I you know, exercise so much that I burned fat. This is a very legitimate way to improve insulin sensitivity. And so for anybody who's pre-diabetic, for all my pre-diabetics, I talk about this. Um, for anybody who's wanting to lose weight, there's very clear evidence in good weight loss. Again, I'm not saying, as I talked about in part one, I'm not saying that this is the gospel truth at the only way, but I think there's some really, really good um, evidence to support this. So on episode three, part three, I guess we are going to do part three. I'm going to get into some of the more of the weeds and uh, real life practical applications. So we're going to sign off saying, uh, remember, you don't have to stay up all night, stay up to date, especially on intermittent fasting. And I'll see you at part three.